Uh, welcome back, friends and scoundrels, to Horror in the Hills. I'm Bran. Robbie. Sarah. And this is Movies with My Monsters, where I watch a horror, scary, or adjacent movie with my children's, and then we talk about it. Um, a couple things real quick, because there's always a couple things real quick. Um, do, do all the things that people who do this stuff always ask you to do. Uh, comments rates, reviews, all that jazz. Um, mostly, yes, I'm asking you for some help to grow the channel and get some other people interested. Um, also, this time, we're going to do something a little bit different with the kids. Normally, I do this more interview style, and I have preset questions that I ask them. But today, we're going to try just kind of having a normal conversation about it yeah 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 and let the kids kind of drive things because sometimes with the interview uh one they don't get a chance to talk about the things that they really want to talk about two um they don't always talk about the things that i want them to talk about <laughs> so um can sometimes make for not as fun recording so, anyways, what did we watch today? I know what you did last summer. I know what you did last summer. <laughs> In case it wasn't clear with them talking together. Um, who wants to summarize? Uh, some kids go, go out to a beach each for the 4th of July, and they, they, and they run over somebody. And, and then the next... Next year on the 4th of July, someone, and, and who knows, the guy they ran over starts attacking them. Okay, spoiler, but <laughs> it's supposed to be a spoiler-free summary. Anyways. Sorry. It's fine. what spoilers are. Uh, it's when you give critical information to the story, and it can ruin what the story is about. Anyways, who wants to go first? I'll go first. Okay. The scarce setup was something I really liked about the story. Like before Helen's hair gets cut off, Elsa comments about it. Mm-hmm. Her and her hair. And in the beginning when she he's talking about how the how hair is everything. So she really cares about her hair. And it also sets up when the fisherman kills Helen because he he paints the words soon on her mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything? Like about that? Yeah. Um. So you started off with um, how well the scares are set up, right? Yes. It's one of the things you like about this? Okay. Yes. What do you have to add to that Um. concept? At the beginning, Julie gets a letter and... Mm -hmm. It says, I know what you did last summer. Okay. And at the end, she gets a, that's another letter. And she slowly goes over to open it. And because she's really scared about it. Yeah. And then it's just a letter about a pool party. And then. She goes into the bathroom and on 
one of the stall. All that says I still know. And then you get a stinger? Yeah. So some of the other scares that are set up well are like in the shop? Yeah. When you have all the dummies that are covered in plastic, yeah. right? Yeah. Creates a pretty good jump scare, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's it's one of those ones that telegraphs what it's going to do. So you know, so your brain is already setting up for when is this going to happen. And it kind of helps build that tension in yourself a little bit more because you're anticipating it and you're just waiting for it to happen. The music is also really good with it. I also like on the balcony, he, after everybody leaves, the blood goes drip, drip, drip. After he kills Barry? Yeah. And um, I like that because it's set up in the beginning when they're telling the stories. It is. Um, there are elements of all their different versions of that urban legend, right? So, you have that. The scratching. The scratching. Who was that? Helen's? Uh. Or was that? That was... That was Barry's. No. Yeah. The drip, drip, drip was Barry. No, the drip, drip, drip was Helen. Helen's. Oh, the stories? Yes. Oh. Yeah, the scratching was Barry's version of the story. Okay. Um, which happens with um, Julie. Julie's car, right? Yeah. There's scratching in her trunk. And then she finds Max's body there. Uh, what else do we have? You have, it's not a car, but the hook, bloody hook stuck in the tarp at the end to match up with Ray's. Which is his definitive version. Yeah. <laughs> and it's an interesting thing with uh, urban legends in general because um, a lot of them come from different places, not just in a state or the country, but in the world. Some of them have very similar, especially now that we have better connectivity throughout the world. And a lot of times there might be minor differences like that where you know it's their shoes scraping on the roof or um blood dripping down or just the hook left or whatever and show how these things change and evolve from place to place have you guys played phone in school no yet where you might sit in a circle or something and one person starts off and they say something to the person next to him, and then that person's supposed oh, to repeat it. Oh yeah, I played it. that in kindergarten. Right? And how much did that change by the time it had gotten to you, or even to the last person? Uh, a lot, a lot. So, one of the things that's supposed to teach you is being careful about what you say with things, right? Yeah. Um, but it's it's also interesting here because it's that same concept that. As it travels around, it gets changed ever so slightly until it's a completely different story sometimes. I don't think there's anything else on this little topic here. Did you have anything that you wanted to talk about specifically? Um, no. No? Nothing at all? You're just going to run with the conversations that happen? Yeah. All right. Uh, Hold on, because I have okay. a couple of questions. So, this one was a little bit different because we'd watched this movie before. Yeah. 
right? And this, uh, our first attempt at recording this was when I decided to try to do this because I wasn't getting any answers out of you and you, excuse me, had your own things that you kept wanting to try to talk about, right? Yes. So, um, this question that I came up with is, how was this viewing experience the second time watching this compared to the first time? Uh, I know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But it's still the same amount scary. Even though it's, even though I already know what's going to happen. I also got some things, conf- when we started, I also got a couple things confused with Christine. Because I thought yeah. it, because I thought it had developed over, because I was thinking like, and Christine, being it ha- had Thanksgiving and then after a little bit it went to uh, New Year's. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that. Yeah? Yeah. And I, I wanted to ask that question because I saw there were some of the times where it was, um, where a jump scare still got you guys, even though you knew that it was probably coming, right? Yes. Yeah. So what about you, Rabbi? What, how do you feel it was the second viewing? Um, a little less scary, and when I when I when the jump scares did get me, I was getting confused with other movies. Yeah. Yeah. Because we watched so many. Oh, we haven't touched anything yet. Uh, were there other things that you guys picked up on? Watching it the second time that you might have missed the first time? No. I actually missed something the second time. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, I remember the first time watching uh, it show. He has the necklace, right, that he's playing with in the mm-hmm. beginning. And then after they dump him in the water, it shows it on the ground. Yeah. But I missed that the second time for whatever reason. It happens. You might have just been looking away or something. But any, like, were there any clues that stood out a little bit more watching it the second time? Yeah. That now that you know what the outcome is, watching it a second time kind of helped you see those things? Yeah. Like what? Um, like when... I can't really remember any. Okay. And, and that's okay. Um, This movie's pretty straightforward and unfolds itself in a way that you're maybe not going to pick up things until the movie wants you to. So to kind of demonstrate that, and this kind of goes into one of the other things that I wanted to talk about, is they kind of get a clue in the um, beginning of the when the actual story starts taking place, right? When? <clears throat> David Egan, yeah. right? The figure, like his body shows up and Julie finds that information out because she wanted to know, right? Yeah. And so they follow that clue on its course of action and everything they find confirms what they're trying to solve or trying to figure out, right? Yeah. And then when she goes back the second time to Missy, what's the main clue there that David isn't the killer? A friend came. The second time. The second she, time. When Julie goes to visit Missy on her own. Uh, David wasn't wearing a tattoo. David doesn't have a tattoo, right? 
but there's nothing to indicate that in the movie beforehand, is there? No. Nope. Because both of the men in the very beginning are wearing long sleeve shirts, so you don't really see it until they his sleeve gets rolled up a little bit or whatever, and then Julie sees the tattoo, says Susie, and there's no talk about Susie's father or anything until the story wants you to think about it, right? Yeah. So that's what I mean, that it just kind of unfolds, and it gives you what it wants you to have when it wants you to have it, instead of laying clues out. Try to find... Uh, I might have one on the list. We'll find one that does that a little bit better, that has things that, when you go back and watch it again, you're, oh, that was there in the beginning. Oh, that. Or, you know, even when you get to the end, you start thinking back about all the clues that were laid out. So, a little bit more intelligent movie would show the arms differently and you would see it but not necessarily think about it and then when it's dropped later you go oh yeah that was a clue but one of the themes that i kind of noticed in this was um doing research and this is called confirmation bias when you have a clue and then you do research to try to confirm that that's what actually happened instead of doing research and finding facts and information and then seeing maybe, I don't necessarily want to say connections because you can still do that with confirmation bias, but going to multiple sources and collecting as much information as you can to make a determination instead of making a determination and finding clues that match that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I kind of got about, kind of got there in a roundabout way. <laughs> but it what they do in the movie is that they start off with the fact and then they just follow that instead of doing additional research outside of that to try to confirm, to try to determine what the actual truth is. So had they, once they had the information about Susie and everything, done more research around her, it would have given them different information, right? Yeah. And then maybe we would have thought about her father. And now, instead of it being a random nobody that you haven't thought of now there's an additional person to be a kind of red herring right yeah speaking of which do you guys know what a red herring is no <laughs> so a herring is actually a kipper it's a type of fish but um they're a popular type of fish and in the past the way they used to be stored to keep them so that way they could be eaten later on instead of having to eat them fresh um the preservation process turned the meat red and people were so used to seeing it that way that when a new preservation process came along and the meat didn't turn red, they had to dye it red. So it was fake. Or it wasn't a natural process for the meat to be red. So that's what it, a red herring is a fake thing that's made, that is there for you to think it's another thing. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I am not doing good at explaining things today, or at least I don't feel like I am. <laughs> so a red herring is a um, like Max. Max was a red herring up until he wasn't. And Ray. Ray was the biggest red herring in the movie, right? Yeah. Especially when he went to visit Missy and he used Billy, uh, Billy Blue. And then Julie saw that the name of his boat was Billy Blue, right? Yeah. So it's a misdirection. It's there for you to think one thing when it's actually might not be that thing. And it still might be. 
Alright. Sir, do you have anything else that you want to talk about? Uh, what's the setup with Helen's hair right before? I like how it zooms in on the closet and then goes away for a second. Then zooms in on the closet and then goes away for a second. Mm -hmm. And that's an effective use of framing is when it keeps doing that. It makes you think something's going to happen with the closet, right? Yes. So it's building that little bit of tension and then nothing comes of it. So it's not, uh, it doesn't really let you get rid of that, release that tension. So then in the morning, um, it continues that trend with her hair being cut. And you're like, oh man, he really was there. So then um, as the viewer, you're thinking maybe something could happen. Maybe something won't happen. So it keeps that tension kind of going. And also in Helen's house, she walks away and then uh, it shows that her dad isn't paying attention to anything. He's just watching football or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the guy comes in and goes up the stairs, but you only see his shadow. Yeah, and I was thinking that too as you started talking about it. Before that, we even see him come into the house and go up the stairs. And so we know his presence is in the house somewhere, but we don't know. We just know that he went upstairs. So then when it's showing the closet, it's it's enforcing that a little bit more. And that's where the actual tension might come from. Because I mean, even... It might not have been as strong, but if they hadn't shown him coming to the house and they showed the closet shots the same, would you still think, oh, something's going to happen? But knowing that he's in the house makes it even stronger, right? Yeah. Another thing was set up for Helen's thing uh, with the hair. Uh, she's playing with the crown before she goes to bed. Mm -hmm. And then she's wearing, and then she wakes up wearing the crown. So another indicator that he was there. All right. So do you have anything that you want to talk about, Robbie? Um, when at the beginning, when she. Gets the letter that says, as I know what you did last summer. Mm -hmm. Um, Later on, at the second, when she is at Missy's house for the second time, um, she pulls out the, le the letter, and it's the same size as the I know what you did last summer one, and it's in the same handwriting. Mm -hmm. And that's something that they do. Um, that's called block lettering. And it's, they use that specifically because anybody should be able to emulate it and use it and it look uh, close enough that it sets up that suspense and tension. So that's why they did that instead of a lot of times with movies, they'll take magazines and newspapers and stuff and cut out letters and glue them so that way you don't know who it is, right? Um... We have, I don't think we've ever seen anything with that in it yet. We'll watch Batman Forever. That's the first thing that comes to mind that has that. <laughs> and, and it also sets up the tension at the end when she opens the pool party invitation because it's in black lettering on the envelope. And it's one of those things in that moment that um, acts kind of as a red herring. It didn't really get me, though, because I'm like this letter was... Well, it... No, it does kind of set up a red herring for a moment because it makes you think that Missy might be the killer and she's doing it to mess with Julie, right? Until she makes the comment about the tattoo and then you realize, oh, 
that's a significant thing to touch back on that. So <clears throat> I've got a good, good thing to help you kind of pay attention and noticing some more a little bit in the future, maybe hopefully. Okay. Um, what did you think of Julie's character? What did you? What are some things you noticed about her? Not sure. Nothing that stands out about her no. character. So in the very beginning of the movie, when we first see her, what is her physical presence like? She's behind the boys in the. Not not balcony. her specifically. Oh. What about her? Her physically? Do you notice? I didn't really notice anything. So, her hair is pretty nice. It's got some volume to it like she takes care of it and it matters to her it's a little bit curly so again she's done things to take care of it how is she dressed mm -hmm. she was dressed really good so kind of like she's taking a little bit of pride in herself maybe and even though she's talking about uh feminist theories and ideas in the beginning it's um she still cares about how she looks not that those two things are necessarily correlated. It just, um, a lot of times appearance is wrapped up in feminist discussion. And that's the only reason why I mentioned it. Um, but she cares about looking pretty and she cares about looking nice, right? Yeah. You get that from her physical, her visual representation on screen. Then when we pick up a year later when she's at school, how does she look? She doesn't. She looks like she's been working really hard, and she hasn't had any time for anything else. Maybe, but what does her hair look like? Um, I just I wasn't really paying attention to it. What about you? Were you paying attention to it? Uh, no, I was paying attention more to the computer to see what she to try and see what she was typing. Okay. <laughs> so her hair's kind of stringy, and uh, I don't necessarily want to say greasy because I imagine she's still taking showers normally but she's not putting in as much effort for her hair to look nice and I mean that could be a difference of um for the opening scene they were at an event so maybe she wanted to look a little bit nicer and maybe she doesn't normally but she's also wearing coveralls and just a normal t-shirt or tank top Right? Yeah. And even after that throughout, she's not shown with her hair any better until the very end of the movie, when right before she's ready to get in the shower. Does her hair look a little bit nicer, more taken yeah. care of? So that visual, those visuals are a cue that what happened the first 4th of July has had a real effect on her personality and... And the second year, so from the first to the second year, you can see that it's had an effect. And and that's true in a way in reality, that when events like that happen, traumatic things, um, one way or the other, um, she's very guilty about it and maybe even a little bit depressed. And when you feel like that, you don't put in as much effort as you might have before. And that's why her mom asks her... Uh, what's... What's going on? Kind of, she asks her if she's on drugs. Yeah. And those can be signs, too, sometimes that somebody's on drugs. Um, so she asks her because she's concerned. It's also a very 90s, 2000 thing that was done in media because of the war on drugs. Yeah. 
So that was something that I kind of wanted to point out to you guys. So that way you can see, maybe pay attention to that in future movies. Because the story definitely wanted us to, even with um, Helen's character, right? Yeah. Um, she carries herself very differently in the beginning of the movie. She's very confident and more cleaned up. Yeah. And then when she's in the shop, she's a lot less confident. She's very clumsy. Um, her hair isn't necessarily done the same way and she's not dressing as nice. And while the, the events around the accident don't affect her as much because she's more on board with it, her other aspirations in life, um, not, not being able to follow through for whatever reason, has an effect on her. And that's kind of what that's showing too. But the fact that nobody's plans have really gone through is an indicator that this event has impacted them a little bit. Except for Barry, but he's just kind of a jerk, period. <laughs> um, anything else that you guys might have thought of? Um, I noticed that the tattoo at the beginning says Susie on it, and later at the end when the, on the guy's boat it shows the back end, it says um, something Susie. Sweet Susie, the license plate? Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be the license plate. It's the name of the boat. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Because it's an identifier. It's For boats, it kind of acts as a license plate in a way. It's a type of, it's a way of identifying boats. Everybody names their boat differently most of the time. But yeah, playing back on the tattoo. And that's another one of those clues that isn't really present until the movie wants you to see it. So... This movie is setting itself up to kind of be a murder mystery, a whodunit, or who is doing it. Um, but whodunit is, is generally how these things are referred to. And a good one would show you that boat in the background in the earlier. And I didn't pay enough attention this time watching it. I've watched this movie plenty enough times that I didn't think I needed to. Shame on me. <laughs> but... Uh, a good one would show you that boat in the background and have that guy being more present throughout the movie or at different parts throughout the movie instead of waiting until the end to introduce you. So it's not a bad whodunit, but it's also not a good one. Because again, a good one, those characters will be present and there's enough evidence that it could be anybody that very specific clues are what actually indicate who it is instead of here's a random person that you didn't know existed. Uh, we'll talk about that with another movie much later on and you'll probably be able to figure it out on your own, hopefully by then, or see that similar thing. So let's talk about the beginning then and the accident. Who do you think had the right idea of how to handle that situation? Barry or Julie? Julie. Okay. Why do you think Julie? Um, because it wasn't an accident. It wasn't the right th thing to hide what they'd done. Even though their futures were potentially at stake? Yeah. So, in reality, and I, I have some very strong opinions about this, um, but vehicular homicide usually isn't treated 
nearly as severely as any actual homicides, being murder or manslaughter. So, do you know what the difference between those two are? No. Murder is you intend to kill the person. You make plans or you take some kind of action and you have, you, again, want to go kill the person. So, first degree is you make plans. Second degree is you want to, but it just kind of happens. So, like, you want to kill a person, but you don't seek them out to do it. It just, you run into them and it happens, kind of. Um, not the best way to explain that, but for our purposes here, I suppose it works. And manslaughter is more of an accident. So more akin to what actually happens in the movie with the accident. But when a vehicle is involved, a lot of times they lean more heavily on the accidental part instead of every all of the facts. So the difference between a normal manslaughter and a vehicular manslaughter is some states if a person breaks into your house and you shoot them and they die as a result, you're not intending to kill them necessarily, but you did shoot them and they died as a result and with a vehicle if you hit somebody again you're not intending to hit to kill them but uh, i suppose that's not necessarily the best example so a better example is um you're in a fight with somebody and you push them and they hit their head on like pipe or stone or something and it causes enough damage that they die and that's more akin to a car. But with a car, for some reason, it seems like they don't treat it as seriously as if like you're fighting with somebody and, and it's an accident. Uh, you'll get in more trouble and have steeper fines or more jail time than with vehicular. So with vehicular, a lot of times you might just lose your license and have a fine. And it doesn't seem right to me because with the car there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that and there each circumstance needs to be treated on its own merits too um i don't want to get too deep into it and i forgot my original purpose of talking about this do you guys remember nope. no oh but you know they they have the conversation about their futures barry's worried about losing his scholarship and not going to school um ray doesn't have as much financial support as everybody else there. He comes from a more working class family, so he might be middle class instead of upper middle class or wealthy like Barry is. Barry comes from a wealthy family. That's why he cares about his stuff so much, because it was probably expensive. Nah. Like, like the car being damaged and his jacket. He's more worried about getting in trouble. But, but they're all concerned about their futures, right? Yeah. And Julie's the only one that recognizes maybe it won't be as bad as they think. But you have the inclusion of alcohol and who are they going to believe and all of that. So it's it can be a tricky thing, right? And, you know, everybody's afraid of going to jail. And most people, when... And this is the other thing with car accidents, is very rarely do people get in their vehicle with the intention of causing an accident, right? Yeah. But it could still happen at any time. And <clears throat> that's why it's not correct to compare vehicles to other things. 
sometimes. That's another conversation that I'll probably have with Ryan at some point, or maybe with you guys when we're older. Um, or maybe we continue that after this. But um, nobody intend. Very rarely do people intend to get in an accident. We just make bad decisions along the way that cause the accident, or maybe even other people make a bad decision along the way. But like in Christine, if it's intended to kill somebody with a car, does it still? Are people? Is it still counted as manslaughter? It. Uh, if they're if they can prove an intent, then it's not manslaughter. It's attempted murder or murder, and you know use of a vehicle and causing. It, the legal system gets very muddied and drawn out with these things, and they add all these stupid layers that, a lot of times, don't need to be there. They just do it because then they can add additional charges on, and it makes it more inviting for a person to take a plea bargain than to try to fight it. Because a plea bargain, all right, I might only do three to five years versus fighting it. I might do zero years, but I also might do 15. So with the plea bargain in there, it makes it, uh, it gives them a third option that's a lot more comfortable. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it kind of corrupts the justice system and a lot of people go to jail that might not necessarily need to. Anything else? No. I think we got a pretty good conversation in there. Talked about a few real world things, which is something that I want to do with you guys and Mommy and Ryan and anybody else who we end up talking to. <laughs> because those things um, play a part in horror movies a lot of times more specifically. Um, as a theme or a metaphor instead of it just being this thing. Horror gives us an opportunity to talk about these in a more real way sometimes than like comedy or drama, right? Yeah. Well, or even action movies. Like sometimes those movies explore them, but they do it in a very specific way. And it's not as fun to explore it, we'll say. But usually your dramas are just love stories and they're stupid. Anyways, made it this far. Thank you for listening. I don't know if we're going to do I Still Know What You Did Last Summer directly next with this series or if we'll do one of the other movies on my list we'll see so for now thank you and toodles bye